Hi, everyone. Welcome to the September 3rd, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to it. A state grand jury indicted the paramedics and officers involved in the death of Elijah McClain with 32 counts, including manslaughter. Legal experts chimed in this week saying the case will come down to intent. And as prosecutor, Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser says that while this, this will be a difficult case to prosecute, the goal is to send a clear message that everyone is accountable under the law. Patty Cahoon from Westward, uh, this not only made headlines uh, in Colorado, but this is going to be a case the entire nation is watching, uh, setting a variety of precedents. Uh, and a lot of folks talked about how this doesn't even come up uh, as a grand jury investigation that leads to these charges, if not for the protests we saw last summer. Of all the different angles to this, uh, what struck you this week? Well, this is a long time coming, and it's not nearly over yet. It was two years ago, August 30th, that um, Elijah McClain was taking off life support after a violent encounter with Aurora police for nothing more than walking home, dancing and looking a little weird. And there was a call made on 911 to the Aurora Police Department, said someone was acting strange. No one, the caller didn't even say it looked dangerous or there was a crime. But those cops came, took down Elijah McClain wound up calling the paramedics because he was unconscious after they sat on him and put him in a carotid hold. And then they injected him with ketamine, which is going to be one of the more tricky things, I think, about these charges, because at the time it wasn't illegal to use ketamine. It was wrong to use as much as they did on a very slight black boy, 23-year-old young man, who, when they used enough for a 200-pound man, so... The whole behavior was horrible, but the Aurora police behavior and the cover-up afterwards was worse. I mean, we had the district attorney after two, mo two months say nothing bad happened. We followed it from the start, and you could see things building even before the George Floyd protests. But that really, that momentum took it further. You had, you have FBI investigations, you have Justice Department investigations. Those might have happened anyway. Polis putting Weiser in charge of this grand jury investigation, or in charge of the investigation, then Weiser called the grand jury. That really moved it along. And everyone on August 30th, the anniversary date is, where is the grand jury? Well, the next day, they were surprised by how tough those grand jury charges were. Panfield Tate joins us, uh, attorney with Tate Law and, of course, a former state lawmaker. Uh, Penn, uh, with uh, Attorney General Weiser's comments that this will be difficult to prosecute, but the intent is to send a message, is he already kind of trying to lower expectations, realizing that the variety of angles here are going to make this difficult? You know, I think he, he's trying to, yes, level set expectations, but the reality is this. Um, convening the grand jury and then once the indictment's handed down, yeah, this is a matter you have to prosecute because, as Patty said, the reality is Elijah McLean is dead for doing nothing. He was in his neighborhood. He went to the store. He was walking home. Someone called and said he looked suspicious. We don't know who the caller was. We, you know, and, and given the history of policing in this country, someone may have called just because he was a young black man walking down the street. You, you never know. But he's walking home minding his own business, and he gets roughed up by police officers, each of whom is probably two or three times his size, and now he's dead. And for the DA to say that nothing inappropriate happened here is problematic. If there are five people and one citizen and the citizen's dead, something happened and something inappropriate occurred. And, and you know, what I really find offensive with this, and I'm glad Phil is doing this, is when the police union said he violently resisted, 
this was a scrawny little kid compared to these grown men whipping up on him and injecting him with a drug. He didn't violently resist. To the extent there's body cam footage, you see all of that. So this is a case that had to be brought. It had to be put forward in this fashion. Um, we'll see how it plays out. Um, if grand jurors indict it, it'll be interesting to see how a jury of peers evaluates the evidence in this case. Well, making your premiere here on Colorado Inside Out, it's great to welcome Michelle Ling, uh, founder of Novitas Communications. Thank Michelle, you. it's great to have you here. There are a whole lot of angles to this, and it feels that um, there's going to be a large national microscope on this case. It's not just a Colorado issue. This is going to be the entire nation watching. Lots of different pieces to this between paramedics involved, the drug ketamine, police officers. As you looked at this issue this week, uh, what, uh, what struck you as what is probably gonna, we're going to be talking about as we move ahead? You know, what really struck me is that this is someone's son, this is someone's brother, is the lack of humanity of it. The uh, Attorney General Weiser is 100% right to bring charges. We have to hold our first responders um, to a higher standard of conduct. We have to hold them accountable. Um, you know, I think that if you talk to any police officer, they would agree with that. And, and so I think that, you know, this was absolutely right and it was absolutely called for. Also making a debut here at the panel, Andy McNulty, uh, a civil rights attorney with Kilmer, Lane, and Newman. Uh, Andy, it's great to have you here. Uh, with all the various angles, we're also hearing from legal experts, at least today in the Denver Post, that uh, the, there's a tricky precedent here that could affect how uh, first responders, and especially paramedics, are going to be handling their job. And it comes down to a, a lot of different things that, while there's been a lot of um, work, at least attention to police officers, hasn't been a lot on paramedics. And this could be impactful, especially with your work in civil rights. What, uh, what do you think we should be paying attention to as this moves forward? Yeah, you know, you talked about the paramedics, and they're just as wrong in this situation as the police officers, and they're not getting as much of the attention, but to inject um, a man like Elijah McClain, a boy like Elijah McClain, with that much ketamine is a criminal offense. You know, that's, that's murderous intent, it's manslaughter, um, and Phil Weiser did the right thing in charging the paramedics. But the thing that struck me about this case is it shows just how guilty the entire system is. This came years after Elijah McClain was killed. Um, the local DA didn't do anything. The police engage in a cover-up. No one's been held accountable at the higher levels of government in Aurora. Um, and, you know, I watched an interview the other day with Lomain Mosley, who's Elijah McClain's father, and he said, all black folks in Colorado fear the police. We have to change that system before anything is going to change. And this is a small first step in making sure that law enforcement officers and paramedics aren't above the law, but there needs to be more that needs to be done. Um, we, need to, we need to make sure that... Um, Police officers are accountable and uh, hold them to the same standards as everyone else. We'll certainly be talking about this for, for many weeks ahead. The Mesa County clerk and recorder debacle continues this week. I feel like we should be playing soap opera music when we talk about this story. Deputy County Clerk Belinda Kinsley is facing charges of cybercrime and felony burglary. The charges are not related to accusations of leaking election data. Instead, they're based on a report that Kinsley had, who attempt, had attempted to print a document at the clerk's offices using a colleague's code despite having been placed on administrative leave. Can we start with you on this one? Um, we, we just recently had a new radio station join the, the Colorado Inside Out Network, if you will, out in Montrose, and we're so excited to have uh, KVNF on board. I didn't realize we'd have this much Western Slope news to report about, but Mesa County is now the hotbed of 
I guess, a little crazy uh, craziness. Uh, what do you take of these latest charges filed in Mesa County? Well, well, first I will say that the theme music for this whole situation needs to be the Twilight Zone, <laughs> and we need Rod Serling to come out and talk about <laughs> submitted for your consideration. This is really one of these deals where truth is stranger than fiction. So the, the person who's now been charged, uh, Belinda, is a deputy clerk who previously was using the station of um, Clerk Peters, who went AWOL after allegations of letting people improperly access the election equipment. So she's using her boss's station and then trying to get someone else to log on with another person's code and print stuff for her. And, and I know our lead-in says the two things don't seem to be related. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that for a minute. Um, this is all interconnected. It's all interrelated. And, and I'll, I'll bet you the truth when it finally comes out is going to be weirder than anything anybody could have imagined. I think it all relates to QAnon and the former president and maybe the congressperson from that district. I think it's all tied together trying to do something weird with voting or election machines or to build a case against the company that manages the voting machine system. But, but you know, it's amazing what people will do and put themselves at risk to perpetuate a fraud and some weird conspiracy theory. But we're seeing it in full effect out in Mesa County. You know, Michelle, just when we thought it was going to cool off, uh, Mason County heated up again. Uh, as a communications consultant, you've worked with a lot of different people. If Mesa County calls you up for some advice on having, having crisis management communications, <laughs> what are some of the things on your mind when uh, you get that call? The things on my mind are just stop being weird. Um, I, you know, just knock it off. I mean, on some level, I, I do take very seriously good government. I take very seriously voter uh, fraud or any kind of tampering with votes. However, is this was this like a 600-page document, full color, back and, you know, bound? I mean, I don't know. This just doesn't seem like, it's, to me, it seems like a waste of prosecutorial resources. But I, like Penn said, you know, um, this is probably all just part of some weird thing that's going to get bigger and weirder. Yeah, bigger and weirder indeed. Andy, uh, it also feels that this is going to uh, throw fuel in the fire. It's not as if Mesa County was uh, the, the linchpin county in, Denver, in Colorado. It wasn't uh, where the results were really in question. There's not enough people there to really sway it one way or the other. But it's just enough to continue the conversation, which seems you know, to be adding smoke. Uh, are we going to be hearing about this for a while? I think so. You know, across the country, there's an old saying, uh, pot calling the kettle black. Well, this is a situation where the pot's calling the kettle black, but the kettle's not actually black. You know, we have Republicans claiming voter fraud when they're actually the ones engaging in voter fraud. Um, this is a, a situation where we've seen a, that we've seen across the country with con men, grifters, and now potential criminals who are engaging in, in voter fraud crying out that the other side is actually engaging in voter fraud. Um, and it, it's an interesting dichotomy. I don't think it's going to change. Um, it's, it's, it's happening more and more and more. We see elected officials from the Republican Party say it. it you know, this is just the, the Colorado version of that. Um, you know, if you're an elected official and you think that uh, President Trump won the 2020 election and you are, and you are um, in charge of voting, I don't think that you're fit to hold office. That's plain and simple what I believe. 
Patty, uh, I I do not envy Wayne Williams, who's being called in to clean this mess. And you know, first he he needed a, a mop and bucket. At least now he's going to need a hazmat truck to figure this out. Uh, but he seems like the right guy that people on both sides of the aisle will trust to figure it out. Uh, did his job get 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 tougher this week? Oh, I think his job became more fun, probably. Let's remember that when Wayne Williams was the Secretary of State, Republican, he's the one who oversaw the process to bring in equipment that could audit our elections. That's what gave Colorado the gold standards. And he's the one who recommended Dominion Voting Systems get that contract. Now, let's not forget Tina Peters, who's still on the lam somewhere, the clerk, who had been with Mike Lindell at his fabulous South Dakota Cyber Symposium, where things from Mesa County wound up on the screen that were supposed to show just everything that had gone wrong, and no one could even figure those out. I mean, even the people at the Cyber Symposium, true believers, thought it was a bunch of malarkey. So she's still on the lam. And meanwhile, her deputy goes inside. Even if it's not related, we see what's related is if you are an employee you pr- who has been told to stay away, you probably should stay away. It keeps getting a little crazier. So if you like Mesa County, you're going to love this one. Douglas County commissioners voted to form their own public health department this week, splitting off from the Tri-County Health Department. The decision came after Tri-County moved to make masks mandatory for all schools in the area and rescinded the right for counties to opt out of the mandates. Uh, Michelle, you and I have something in common with this issue. We both live in Douglas County. You have a family there, so this yes. is getting you directly. Uh, it's it, It's been a long time. I guess not even a long time coming. This is not a first time we've heard about Douglas County commissioners wanting to get out of Tri-County, but now that we've seen the vote happen, uh, what are some of the things you're thinking about when we saw this news this week? Sure. So a couple of things. Tri-County is soon to be no county health department. Uh, it seems like Arapahoe is considering its membership there. Adams County is reconsidering some things as well. So uh, there's a couple of ways to look at this, right? You look at this as uh, from the, the issue of government. So um, should they have done this? Well, you know, according to the county commissioners, they are receiving 90% positive um, uh, feedback for, for this move. Um, and so, okay, well, and 52% of parents are across Colorado don't want their kids masked. I assume it's a little bit higher in Douglas County, just given the uh, political uh, makeup. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I look at it as a parent, and, um, you know, I, I'm always, I always wear masks. I'm happy to accommodate. I'm from the Midwest. I accommodate like a champ. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, so I have no problem wearing a mask. Now, I have an 8-year-old, and I have a 2-year-old. My 8-year-old um, has been told to wear a mask at school. You know, it's fine. You know, I do think it should be a parent's choice, though, and here's why. Because my 2-year-old... Um, First of all, she won't keep her pants on, so I don't know how we're going to keep the mask on, um, number one. But number two, and probably more importantly, is that my uh, daughter has a vision issue, and it's a pretty significant one. And so we are just learning, teaching her how to talk. She's just learning. And so when you say you you want to mask people up, that concerns me because I feel like, okay, she's going to fall further behind in her her speech progression. Um, And we're working with a speech pathologist, but, um, you know, I I just have some concerns like that as a parent. And so it's, this isn't a black and white issue. You know, I think it's really easy to say that people who are, have questions about masks are crazy right-wingers or, you know, whatever. But, you know, even as a parent, I'm divided. You know, I'm fine with my eight-year-old wearing a mask. I don't care. Um, But my two-year-old, 
I, I prefer not. And so I think that there's a lot of nuance and a lot of gray area here. Yeah. Andy, this is, uh, I guess, as Douglas County resident, one of the questions I had was, okay, fine, but how much is this going to cost me as a taxpayer in the county compared to what we do, uh, or at least of what Douglas County was as a member of Tri-County? Um, That's it, fine to make the decision, but there probably should be a little bit of forethought into it, not just I'm going to up and move and buy a house. Well, you should probably know the price first, but that's, that's for commissioners to figure out. Um, do you think this will become uh, a trend for other counties that are in these collective groups, especially when it comes to health, health departments? Unfortunately, it seems like it will be. This is such a politicized issue. We've really politicized this to the to the point where, you know, public health doesn't even matter anymore in, in, in these sorts of decisions, um, both at schools and school boards and, and also at public health departments. And, you know, as a civil rights attorney, what really bothers me about this whole mask issue is people who are claiming that their civil rights are violated by it. Um, you know, you don't have a right to spread disease in your community. You don't have a civil right not to have a piece of fabric on your face. That's The, the Supreme Court has said that for over 100 years. We've been fighting about this since the smallpox in, infection in the 1900s, you know. Um, and so uh, it's just sad to me that this has become such a politicized issue when public health should be controlling the day, not, you know, your political beliefs about masks. I imagine if you think that uh, being told to wear a mask in a certain place, you feel that like your civil rights have been violated, probably means that your actual civil rights have never been violated. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, Patty, when we uh, look at this, uh, what Douglas County wants to do, you've had the, the three commissioners who are very comfortable in the limelight and, 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 and leading this charge. And Tri County not backing down, because this came from the, what we talked about last week, is that the Douglas County commissioners were voting to try to upend how Tri-County made the initial uh, decision. So Tri-County was just basically in response to that. So I, I don't know where this goes, but you know, reading this kind of uh, craziness, it's not going to end anytime soon. What, what's your take? Well, first, Michelle, your daughter needs to know you do not have a civil right not to wear pants. <laughs> right. Everyone at this table has discovered that. Well, um, this has been going on down there for in Douglas County for over a year. What we have to remember is that it's expensive to set up a competent health department. Now, competent could be the key. Tri-County is definitely competent. Jefferson County used to be part of Tri-County. Jefferson County has set up a far stricter health department than Tri-County is. Jefferson County has been out there with mask mandates earlier, with social distancing earlier. They have taken a very proactive stance. They've been a very good health department in a lot of ways, but it's not cheap. And I think what's happening is Douglas County hasn't quite figured out what it would cost to actually put in a health department. They'll find out soon. Penn, I think about the other things the health departments take care of, and I wouldn't consider it a political issue that restaurants are mandated to keep food at a certain temperature or that employees are washing their hands or other things are going well. That wouldn't be something I want to kind of leave to uh, what, whatever whims are in a particular commissioner's mind. Um, are we going to start getting into the other things health departments do as other commissioners and counties consider doing this? Uh, yeah, you are. And my my sympathies for for you and Michelle, but <laughs> this is going to be massively expensive. Mm -hmm. And the commissioners have reacted from a political perspective without taking into consideration the practical ramifications. They've now got to duplicate and replicate everything Tri-County did across three counties in just one county and pay for it all themselves. And given, just generally speaking, the political dynamic in Douglas County, that bill you get is not going to go over real well with you. But it's coming because there are other nuances that haven't been considered. Also, think big picture. 
Douglas County is pulling out because they're mad that Tri-County wouldn't let them opt out of a Tri-County mask mandate, particularly with respect to schools. Nobody is saying that Tri-County's analysis of the data and looking at the science and the medical issues are wrong. They're just saying we don't like it and we don't want to do it, so we're quitting. What happens when they create their own health department and people say, we don't like that, we're opting out. We don't care if you are the the Douglas County Health Department, we're not doing it. Um, They're they're setting themselves up for a bigger problem in a longer term fight because if you don't give anybody else credibility, there's no reason for anybody to bestow it upon you. This is another mess. Let's get a quick take on this last one. Wednesday night, the Colorado Congressional Redistricting Commission proposed an idea of a new southern district that would include Pueblo County, Rio Grande, and more. If created, the southern district would centralize many of Colorado's rural minority communities as an influential voting block. The move would also have a significant effect on the current metro area map. Just a quick take on this one, Andy. Um, this really upended everyone's expectation of the newer, uh, new Congressional eight, uh, District 8 was going to go. It could be a whole new map in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that there's a positive step, though, because uh, it'll avoid a Voting Rights Act lawsuit for diluting the minority vote. Um, the Redistricting Commission has done a lot of great things recently, and this is just another one that, that they're doing, like getting rid of prison gerrymandering and now this. Patty, are we expecting that this might be the headline when we see the new maps in a few weeks? Well, they're working and they're playing around with it. And this was a really interesting one. The biggest question is, how can you get Lauren Boebert's district and Weld County in the same one? And so far, that hasn't happened. (laughs) Penn, as a lawmaker, you've been through these processes before. What did you think of this announcement? You know, I found it interesting because I think many of us expected the new district to be further north to sort of create a majority-minority district in the metro area that was um, uh, Latinx-leaning. But that apparently is not the direction they're going. Uh, There are going to be some problems with this map. There are going to be a number of objections. Uh, Michelle, something's going to get split up. It's Denver. It's uh, El Paso. Something's going to get cut up. Uh, How do you think it's going to go? You know, I don't know. We don't have the privilege of seeing the map that's coming out this afternoon. So what I say may not make sense in a couple of hours. But, um, you know, I think it would be disappointing to split up the um, communities of interest. Like, you know, know, the West Slope, they have a lot of issues out in rural Colorado, um, issues that are really unique to them. Um, And so I think it would be kind of a shame to deny the um, deny rural Colorado a second congressional seat. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch and certainly some fun visual aids for this program. It is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, I may not like what Candace Owens says, and in fact, I don't, but if, she, if I were running a COVID testing operation in Aspen of all places, if she walked in and asked for a test, you would realize you have to give her one. Penn. You know, I agree with with Patty's sentiment. I, if somebody wants to get tested, for God's sake, I don't understand why you wouldn't test them in this day and age, especially for COVID. Michelle. So I'm going to do a different one. Um, I think that the retreat from Afghanistan, the final sort of exit from Afghanistan is the disgrace of the week. You know, we left hundreds of Americans there, American citizens there. We left the majority, according to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, um, thousands of, or the majority of our um, allies in Afghanistan there. And, uh, you know, I think that's just not American. Um, right now, 70 to 80 percent of Americans think that it was mishandled. 
Um, and 40% of Democrats think that Joe Biden should be impeached for this. That's crazy. Um, although I, you know, may agree. Um, never since we have seen, never since alcohol to go, have we seen one issue that is, has such consensus among the electorate. So that's my uh, disgrace of the week. Andy. Yeah, mine is uh, there was a sweep of a homeless encampment over by the uh, Four Winds Indian Council. These sweeps have been going on through the pandemic against CDC guidance. Um, This one involved uh, indigenous folks um, in Colorado uh, weeks after Governor Polis issued a proclamation um, rescinding some of the atrocities that happened in the past. Um, But this happened on his watch. It's another atrocity. It's a disgrace of the week. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty. I wasn't able to go to Dick Lamb's memorial service, but I heard it heard it on the radio as I was driving. So impressive, just remembering everything he had done and the people who worked for him and spread out and did other great things for Colorado. We cannot forget that he is the one who led the fight to liberalize abortion laws in Colorado. Colorado was the first state to really give women that right. And to hear about that at the memorial and see then what is happening in Texas was an irony you wish you didn't have to see. Ben. Yeah, the tributes to to Governor Lamb were well-deserved and his impact on the state. Also, get out and enjoy the taste of Colorado. (laughs) Here, finally back. Michelle. Well, I'm going to have to use this to wish my son a happy birthday. It was his birthday this past week, and so I I will use it for that. Uh, Michelle, I have blatantly abused this chair to do the very same thing. (laughs) So few people get a chance to to wish a a family member happy birthday on TV, so I'm glad you took advantage of that. Well done. Andy. Uh, The thing that was inspiring to me, and this is weird, is the backlash to the, uh, you know, really restrictive abortion law in Texas. People rallying together saying this is not right, this is not the America that I believe in, um, was inspiring to me. It was uh, interesting to see the reaction not only to that law, but also the voting law gets passed at the same time. Uh, Texas brought a whole lot of attention to themselves. It's going to be interesting to see that. And I will uh, echo the remarks from uh, both Patty and Panda with my say something nice too. Uh, uh, Governor Dick Lamb and his memorial, uh, specifically uh, how many people from different walks of life and different parts of the political spectrum were all there uh, paying tribute and also, uh, you know, talking to each other and, and, and sharing uh, a variety of conversations. As I was telling uh, uh, everybody here before we roll tape, uh, watching Dick Wadhams, a known Republican strategist, long-time great big Republican wins he's taking care of, uh, talking and joking uh, with Senator Michael Bennett is not something you would see every day, and you saw that in various forms throughout the memorial service and, and also in what was mentioned. It was uh, not just one issue. Uh, there was a whole lot of different issues that uh, Governor Lamb was willing to take on, uh, whether it be popular or not, and it's hard to think of now, uh, whether you're a statesman or a stateswoman, who would have that kind of impact to draw that many people from all sides of the spectrum with equal amounts of respect. Um, Sad to say that that is rare, but uh, certainly uh, interesting to see, and it was fun to see at uh, the memorial service, and everything was well done. That is all time we have for Colorado Inside Out this week. On behalf of everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic DiZutti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.